Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. pray together. Lord, if we just look around us, the circumstances of our lives, for many of us, we just lied singing that song. But when we look at the cross and consider the standing we have because of you, the incredible love you've already demonstrated for us, we can say with confidence that no matter what is happening around us, it is well with our soul. Teach us to find our confidence in what you have done and not in what is happening around us. Teach us that you are greater than the ups and downs of our lives. Help us to find real strength and the kind of peace that seems impossible to the world as we fix our eyes and our hearts on you. Lord, as we look into your word again this morning, we ask along with your disciples over the ages, Lord, teach us how to pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, I don't spit that much when I preach. I don't know why there's this big moat of empty seats between you guys and me on this side, but I, uh, I just want to share that after hearing what Col- Connor Allison said, I almost feel like I don't need to preach. That was just so much truth packed into that little statement. It's just awesome. <clears throat> We've been going through a series on prayer, and uh, I think it's helpful from time to time just to recap what we've been learning because I know that between sermons, a lot of life happens. And a lot of what happens in that life makes what we're learning at church kind of leak out of the margins of our minds. So this morning, we're going to start kind of a new little stream uh, in this series on prayer. And I'll, I'll get to why we're calling it Prayer Fully Engaged in a moment. <clears throat> But I want to review first. We looked at what has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gave this prayer as a pattern of prayer to his disciples when they asked him the very thing we're asking, Lord, teach us to pray. What he taught through that prayer is that when we pray, there are some real blessings we gain through praying. One is that we, we find intimacy as we approach God as our Heavenly Father. And we also find Uh, this wonderful surrender, as we surrender our will to his, our lives don't become worse or more constricted, they become better. Because God knows better than us what ought to happen in our lives. And so as we yield ourselves, we find our way to his will. You often wonder, what is your will, God? I think the way that we discover the answer to that question is by first surrendering ourselves to him. And then he'll say, let me tell you what I want. And then we find that God is the one we go to daily. 
not just occasionally, but each day. And this is the, the wonder of God because he loves us. He wants us to come to him every day. He doesn't give us tomorrow's blessing today. He gives us enough each day to make it from morning till sunset. He gives us enough each day that we can say at the end of each day, you were enough for me. I wouldn't have made it through this day without you. And not just the bread we eat, but what we need in our hearts just to make it through another day. When we think we're not going to get there to the end of the day, he carries us if we go to him in dependence. And he will faithfully give us enough every day if we ask. And then he promises us the freedom that comes from being forgiven and what is more, from being able to forgive other people. And don't many of us waste a lot of years in the prison of unforgiveness, both being able to not forgive ourselves or to forgive other people. But there's a wonderful freedom to be found when you release people and say, I may not have my justice in this earthly life, but I'm not going to spend my life in the prison of unforgiveness, watching all the best years of my life wasted in bitterness. When God says to me in prayer, I can discover the freedom of just moving forward. And finally, he says that the battles we fight in our lives are not just with other people or with systems in this world, but there's a spiritual battle raging And if we try to face that battle and face our enemy on our own strength, we will never stand up to him. Look up here for a second. Let me tell you something. The devil is not afraid of you. He's just not. You can say, come on, Satan, bring it on. He's not scared of you. He's not scared of me. If you're like, I'll go to the pastor and hide behind me, you're not any safer. What do I have? I'm not going to put some garlic up there or wave a cross in his face. He's afraid of the Lord. And so in this battle, as our own lives are being greatly affected by the battle around us, our great protection is to run to him and cry out, fight for me. Rise up, stand in front of me, fight for me. And he will do it. This is the wonderful promise of God in prayer, is that you will not be left defenseless if you run to him. So this is what we're learning from the Lord's Prayer so far. This morning we're going to turn a corner, and I want to consider... Three things that need to be fully engaged when we pray. Okay, three things that we need to strive to fully engage whenever we pray. And those three things are our heart, our mind, and our will. So in other words, whenever we go to prayer, we can't just phone it in. We have to bring ourselves fully to that moment of prayer. And three things that have to be engaged are our heart, our mind, and our will. And this morning, I want to focus on the middle one, our mind. In the subsequent weeks, we'll think about how the heart is involved in prayer and how the will is involved in prayer. But this morning, I want to look at how the mind is involved in prayer. And to do that, we're going to explore Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 to 8. This is the word of God. And Jesus said, When you pray... Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. That word babbling is a very interesting word. It translates a Greek word that's kind of hard to pin down, but the very best um, uh, 
ideas, I think, about what that word means is captured in the phrase mindless repetition. Mindless repetition. It's the kind of prayer, Jesus is describing the kind of prayer some, some people, both in Christianity and in other religions, engage in, where they're praying with a lot of words, but very little meaning. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody drop 20 Father Gods praying for breakfast. You know, Father God, Lord Father God, Father, Father God, I just want to Father God tell you, Father God, that these lucky Father God charms are, Father God, going to be delicious, Father God. And, you know, that's, that's just a, the most basic level of mindless repetition. Just trying to get a lot of miles logged with the tongue while the brain at the same time, while the tongue is ramping up in activity, the brain is ramping down, it's shutting down. Time to turn this off and just go to town. <laughs> let's go, let's go. And, we, and that's the way some people are in the habit of praying, is let me just get into a flow where I don't even have to think about it. Where I could just get in the zone and be talking a lot to God. And I'm not trying to downplay the importance of what we would call flow in prayer. There is something very important to be said about that, and we'll address it. But if our goal is to not have to think, if our goal is to get to a point in prayer where we're on autopilot, and we're going for hours while our brain checks out, I think what Jesus is saying is that kind of prayer is not the best kind of prayer. There is a place and a time for when that's the only option we have, but it should not be the norm in our prayer lives to just shut this down and run the mouth. You know, if you pray that way, you can log hours in prayer and find that you've had almost no connection with the God you're praying to. So when we look at this word babbling, haven't we all been caught in a one-sided conversation where like, you could actually put the phone down on the table, go eat a sandwich, come back, and the person doesn't even notice you walked away. Is it enjoyable to be part of a one-sided conversation like that, where the other person is just running on and on and on, and there's really no connection between you? What you realize is they didn't call to talk with you, they called to talk to you. In fact, they don't even call to talk to you, they just call to talk. They really wanted to say something, but it feels like you're crazy if you just talk to the wall. So you call someone, and they become your wall. And if we don't enjoy conversations like that, why would someone think that it makes, it's a good idea to pray like that? To pray to God in a way that would annoy us if another human being talked to us in the same manner. And so I think what Jesus is trying to say is, That kind of prayer is okay if you think you're praying to a statue, but if you realize that God is a person, a being, he has a mind, a heart, a personality, a will, that our God is not just the the faceless, nameless, supreme being, but he is a very personal God. If you realize that, then you would realize that kind of prayer doesn't really create a deeper relationship with a personal God. So if you're praying to a statue go on. But if you're praying to a personal God, he says that babbling on and on is not the kind of prayer that connects our hearts to the heart of God. Why would someone think that? Well, Jesus reveals this because they believe that that's the key to getting God's attention. They believe that that's the way a human being 
is heard by God is that if you really want God to hear you and prayer is a good religious activity, the more of it you do, the more you'll get his attention. And so the reasoning goes, if prayer is good, then more prayer is better. Now, don't get me wrong. More prayer is a good thing. But if the thought is, in order to get the ear of God, you've got to talk his ears off, it's based on a real misunderstanding of what God is like. See, this kind of prayer, this babbling prayer, makes more of quantity than quality. It presupposes that what God wants is to hear us say a lot of things over and over, when really what God longs for is just one honest word. Just one word that says the truth about where your heart is, how you see him, what you long for from him. You know, sometimes when words are many, it can be a tip-off that we're attempting to manipulate a situation. You always know when your kids are trying to get something because they are very glib all of a sudden. You know, how was school? Fine. How was your day? Good. But all of a sudden, like, oh, hello, mother and father. Um, how are you this fine day? And you're like, what do you want? What, what do you want? Why are you talking so much? What's with all of a sudden you want to have a conversation with me? Well, because they're working you. They're trying to get at something. And I think sometimes that's the way it is when we pray to God with many words but no heart connection. It can often be a tip-off that we think that what we have to do with God is work him, sell him, persuade him. Get him onto our side of things to see our way. I think what God really wants is for us to be honest, reflective, sincere. That before we open our mouths to speak, we're mindful of what we're about to say. We choose our words carefully, not because it's political, but we choose our words because the things we say to God who knows all should be honest and true. And we're not always sure at first blush what is honest and true. Do you know that if you begin to open your mouth before you open your mind and your heart, sometimes what happens is you talk yourself into a thing that's not even true. So before we just process verbally, I think what Jesus is teaching is pause for a moment and really think about your situation. Think about who God is, who you are to him, what is really happening, how you really feel. And then as you speak in prayer, choose words that tell the truth. I also think that being mindful of our words in prayer is about more than just choosing our words carefully. I think it's also about listening to the words we end up saying. I think in every good conversation, there should be two people at all times who are listening. Okay? Did you catch that? In every good conversation, there there should always be two people who are listening at the same time. The hearer should obviously be listening, but the speaker should also be listening. You'd be amazed how much insight you could gain if you just listened to the words coming out of your own mouth. I mean, have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you just wanted to say to them, are you hearing yourself right now? Are you hearing yourself right now? You know, you say to somebody, I know you've got a, a bit of a temper, so I, what do you mean you have a temper? You don't know me. You don't know You're like, are you hearing yourself right now? If I hold the mirror up to you, will you see what I see? I know you hear what others say, but do you hear what you say? I picked up a book just a while ago, written by a guy named Greg Elshoff, 
And I bought the book with no other insight except the title just completely got my attention. The title of the book was I Told Me So. I love that title. I'm, I can't wait to read the book. I Told Me So. And I gather from reading the, the description of the book that it, it talks about the ways that we program ourselves. When there are so many other sources of truth available to us, most of us choose to shut our ears to those other sources and just tell ourselves over and over what's true, what's right, what's good. I know that's what the Bible says. I know what that's the pastor, the, my friends say, but I'm going to tell me so. I'm going to tell me what's true. And we rehearse over and over what is true only to us. If we could really hear, be mindful of what we're saying to God, we would learn a great deal. And in fact, can I, be, can I give you a little secret? Pastors, when we counsel, that's really all we're doing. We're listening to what you're saying and just going, hmm, if God were in the room, I wonder what he would ask you. And we just ask little questions. What do you think about that? Why did you say that? Why do you feel that? Do you really think that's true? What we do in counseling is not earth-shattering. And in fact, while it's still important, you can gain the benefits of counseling in prayer simply by standing honestly before God without pretense and saying, as I, as I pray to you, God, I'm listening to the words coming out of my own mouth, out of my own heart. I see the patterns arising. I see that I always ask for you to work in other people's lives, but I never ask you to work on my own heart. I realize I'm so focused on the things others have done wrong against me, I'm blind to the wrong I may be doing against them. I realize I ask you for a lot of material things, but I've never asked you for anything emotional or spiritual. And so as we listen to ourselves, as our minds are turned on while we pray, our prayer lives become richer. I think mindless prayer is the most boring waste of time imaginable. It confers to the Christian no value, really. When we pray with our minds turned on, even as we pray, we grow. This is why I think the Bible is such an important accompaniment to our prayer lives. See, sometimes prayer can just become another form of self-reinforcement. I told me so. And so if you get alone with God and the only voice you hear is your own talking, even though you're ostensibly standing in front of God praying, without his voice coming back speaking the truth, you can just as easily reinforce wrong thinking, wrong beliefs while you pray. And so the importance of having the Bible in prayer is that as I pray, the Holy Spirit, as we get more and more familiar with Scripture, he draws our hearts towards certain passages, and he opens up the Word to us. And here's the great thing about it. God will never say to you individually anything contradicted in the book that he gave to all of us. Through Scripture, he spoke to every one of us at the same time. And he will never tell you something privately. He'll never say to you, hey, listen, Dave. I know what I said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but don't tell anybody. For you, it works a little different. You get to be bitter and still grow. You don't have to forgive them. Who would forgive a person that, forget that. I don't even forgive them. High five, fist bump. He'll never give you a little wink and a nod and a special word for you that contradicts what he said to all of us. 
And so the word of God stands as a tried and tested truth. If you want to know what God is like, you cannot study your own life and go, well, God, you're not loving because look at my life. Look at the mess my life is. If that's the way you're approaching it, you will never know God, ever. The starting point of our relationship with God is to accept as true what he has already revealed. That's our starting point, the platform from which we jump off. And so it's really, really important that our minds aren't shut off and that we are conscious of the scriptures as we pray because it's so often when we couple prayer life with the scriptures that we begin to grow spiritually even as we pray. And for the people who, for whom that's a habit, they will testify to you that there have been times when God has redirected their hearts and minds totally while they were praying because they, he brought to mind a scripture that addressed exactly where they were. And they began to understand. God changed the way they felt and the way they thought because scripture was brought into the process of prayer. Now we'll touch on it a little later. I I think we have to talk a little bit about the supernatural elements of prayer, some of the spiritual giftings, the gift of tongues and prophecy and words of knowledge and all that kind of stuff. We will address it at some point, okay? But I will say this. There are times when we are so overwhelmed... Our circuits are so overloaded that we find ourselves incapable of finding words. Have you ever been there? I imagine, for example, that that if I outlive any member of my family and I have to bury one of them, on that day, I won't be able to put two words together. I imagine that on that day, standing graveside, I will be literally speechless. So overwhelmed, that maybe the only two words that I'll be able to manage in faith are praise God. And I won't even feel those words 100%. There are times when what we're going through is just so overwhelming that we know we need to connect to God, but we cannot string the words together. And I'm so encouraged by the words in Romans 8, where he says, likewise, the Spirit helps... What happened? Did I lose my... uh, Did I turn this thing off? There we go. Thank you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I find that very comforting that there are times when what I'm going through is so overwhelming, I can't seem to find the words to tell God, what, but I know I need to go to him. And as we cry out in those moments, the Holy Spirit will come in support of us. He will pick us up, carry us, and he will pray in our spirit for us when we can't find the words. So I just want to let you know, if that's where you are, I don't want you to feel rebuked by this sermon. If you're trying to pray and your mind is just shutting down because of the heaviness of what you're going through, I understand that, and so does God, and he has made a provision for that. But I think what Jesus is saying is the normal daily pattern of prayer is that if you want to grow through your prayer life, your mind cannot shut down when you approach God. We must be willing to be mindful while we pray. Let me just, uh, this is is the second of two points, so let me just um, turn the corner here and give you a second thing that I think we need to be mindful of. We need to be mindful of ourselves and the words we use when we pray, but we also need to be mindful of the God we serve, the God to whom we're praying. 
You know, the general view among pagan religions in Jesus' day, very understandable, the gods, because they are the gods, have better things to do than listen to you. That was the general view of most religions in Jesus' day, is that God, if he exists, is greater than you, and he's too busy doing God stuff to say, oh, oh, you, you, your girlfriend broke up with you. Oh, man, that really... The idea was, why would the gods care about us? We are to the gods as the ants are to us on the ground. Look at all those ants. And then you just keep walking. The other day I was walking, I was about to step down, and I, I usually when I see ants, when I was little, I try to step on them. Now, I, I think I went Buddhist. I, I try to avoid them. I almost trip sometimes. I'm like, ah! But the other day, I just couldn't help it. I was just walking, and I just stepped, and I just before I stepped, I stepped on an ant. And I felt this minor twinge of, oh, that's a life just extinguished. And then the very next second, I was like, okay, whatever. It's an ant. It's an ant. What do I care? I had a pain, just a momentary pain, and then that ant in its extinguished life was gone forever. Well, not completely gone. I just talked about him again. Rest in peace, auntie. That's the way people thought gods were like. Why would a god listen to my little drama right now? Why does he care that my neighbor hasn't returned my gardening shears in like two months? And I don't know how to ask for it back. And so because they thought God was like this, they figured if I want God to hear me, I've got to talk his ears off because the squeaky hinge gets the oil. If I'm just like five minutes of prayer, he's not going to take it seriously because how will he hear? What if he's busy? And then just in case the incessant prayer wasn't enough, they sweetened the deal by doing all kinds of things to show their devotion. Many religions still do this. They cut themselves until they bleed to say, God, this is how serious I am. Please listen to me. I'm cutting myself here. And even then, sometimes their gods wouldn't respond. King, 1 Kings 18 records a very famous encounter between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Do you remember the story? Some of you grew up in Sunday school. It was a showdown to determine once and for all which is the real God. Wouldn't this just be an awesome place to have been? I mean, I, I think sometimes in our culture we get so frustrated. We're like, we love a showdown. All right, the gods of this world and the one true living God. It's on, UFC, infinity. And you see God just warming up in the corner. He's like, this is going to be easy. Bam! Jason Bourne style, done. Dude's out. Don't you wish just once and for all God would decisively show the world, y'all got nothing on me. Well, he did that once. And it was this great showdown where a bull was sacrificed, it's cut up, laid on an altar, just waiting, and the showdown was this. I'll pray to my God, you guys pray to your gods, and we'll see who sends the fire to consume the sacrifice. It's just like, that is UFC in the spiritual. If there was ever a UFC, that is ultimate fighting championship right there. It was Elijah, one prophet of God, against 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah, like a gentleman, goes, y'all go first. <laughs> odds are stacked against them. If you were a betting man, the bookies would give him like 2,001 odds, right? Listen to this account. It cracks me up every time I read it because there's so much sarcasm built into this. But listen. 
So they took the bowl given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Maybe he was sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. You know how the story ends. Not only does Elijah let these 450 dudes go first, but then when it's his turn, he pours buckets of water all over the altar and the sacrifice. So he isn't even going to ask God to set on fire dry meat. It's soaking wet with a trench around it filled with water. And just one prayer. And God pulls out the flamethrower and just... And the fight is decided forever. Despite their spending an entire day slashing themselves and crying out, there was no answer. And really, how could there be? Because they were praying to a God that doesn't exist. And Jesus says, in light of this kind of pagan prayer, don't be like them. Not just don't be like them in their babbling, but don't be like them in the wrong view they have of God. That there's only one way to get his attention, that is to beat down heaven's door and cut yourself and show this and show that. He's saying, you don't pray to a God who's disinterested, who's blowing you off, who has better things to do. That is not the God we pray to who are in Christ. The God we pray to is very different than that. The God we pray to, he says, is a father who already knows what we need even before we think to ask it. He says you don't have to pray like the pagans because unlike them, you pray to a God who is real. And you pray to a God who is very interested in us, who is the God who comes near, who is Emmanuel, God with us. That's the God we pray to. You know, we can be wrong a lot of times about what we need, even though we're very, very rarely wrong about what we want. So when we tell God what we want, we're on good footing, but sometimes when we tell him what we need, we're wrong. And what he says is, I know what you really need, and if you would ask me. And as I hear that, I'm just thinking about someday, I love my kids today, I just love them so much. And I don't want to do anything to make their lives worse. I wish they would believe us. I, I, nothing I say to them, nothing I do for them is ever to steal their joy. But I just imagine a day when they bring home somebody who's just really not right for them. And I'm going to want to say something. I'm just, oh, just wait, just wait. And I'm going to finally go, honey, I know people and I know you very well and it's really not a good fit. Um, they hate Jesus, man. <laughs> and you love Jesus. It's not going to work. Oh, yeah? Well, if you get nothing supportive, say, I have nothing to do with you. And they, they walk out. I'm just, I love him, Daddy. I love him. 
I'm going to marry him. I don't care what you say. And that moment, I just, my heart is going to be so, so like overflowing with, you don't know, I just, I love you. I love you. I'm not trying to steal your joy. I'm not trying to ruin your life. You have no idea how much. I know what you even need more than you do. That there will come a day where you'll very likely regret this decision. And I'm trying so hard, sweetie, to spare you that pain because I care. The heart of the God we pray to is not a God looking to play games with our lives or steal our joy. He is a God who intensely loves us. And if we who are human can love our children that deeply, to whom do we imagine we're praying when we get on our knees and cry out in our deep needs? He's not a God who's distant, who says to us with laughter, claw your way up here if you can. He says to us, I'm the God who came to you because you could not come to me. You have no idea what it cost me to come to you instead of asking you to come to me. Now, I'll be honest. There are seasons of prayer and seasons of life where we cry out in faith and it feels as though God is deaf. It feels like God's not listening. And people have said this to me, Quite often, I am praying, and there's no answer. It's like God isn't paying attention to anything I'm saying. I'm alone in my pain, and where is God as I pray? I I know that feeling, and I understand why we get to that place in our hearts. It is in those moments, it is so important to make a decision about how you will approach God. Because you have two choices. You can say that this feeling that God is deaf, that he doesn't care about me, you can choose to decide that that's true of him, and that he really doesn't care, and then set your heart against him and say, if you don't care about me, I'm done hoping and waiting for you. Or you can say, it feels like you're not listening. It feels like you're traveling or busy, deep in thought, asleep. You're like, just like the pagan gods, like I'm crying out to you and you're blowing me off the way Baal blew off his prophets. And you could choose to believe that that's true of God, that in those moments, he really doesn't care that much about your struggle. I think the reason showdowns like the one between Elijah and the prophets of Baal are recorded in Scripture are so that when in our own lives it seems like God is deaf, God is not real, God doesn't care for us, He doesn't answer prayer, that biblical record stands as a forever testimony that is just not true of this God. It says in Hebrews that without faith we cannot really please God, meaning we can't really have a relationship with God apart from faith. If you want to have a relationship with God, you know what we got to start with is The Bible is filled with the testimony of God's people over centuries that this God is faithful, that this God loves us. He cares about what happens to our lives. He's not disinterested in us. He doesn't blow off people. He doesn't plug his ears when they pray. This God moves when his people cry out. That's the God we serve. And right now he's taking a really long time picking up the phone. But I will begin in faith at that place that the God I'm praying to is not a God who blows his people off. It only feels like that right now. I'm going through a drama like that right now, this weekend. 
my, my best friend in Virginia has been trying to call me for three days, and every time he's called, I've been in the middle of a meeting and I can't pick up. And I just know from our 30-year history that he's not happy right now. <laughs> I, just, I, I mean, I can hear it in the different tones, right, of his voicemails. And he's got a choice to make about me. Why is this guy not picking up? Does he have a new best friend? <laughs> Does he just not care? Is he just too busy, too self-important? No, I just really, I, I can't have a conversation with you right now because I can barely go to the bathroom. But I will call you soon. I haven't changed how I feel about you, but right now, I cannot pick up the phone. And I would be heartbroken if he interpreted my inability to pick up as disinterest in him because that's just not true. And we have 30 years of friendship to stand as a testimony. And I don't want him to pass judgment on me on the basis of one weekend of phone tag. The reason God records so many stories in Scripture of his faithfulness is so that that would be the platform, the background from which we decide how we will respond to God when he feels far away. And I know some of you have been praying for the same thing for a very long time. And it feels like God is far away. But when you start to believe in your heart that God doesn't care, when you start to believe in your heart that he's not interested in you, who do you think is whispering such thoughts into your heart? Who do you think is agreeing with you in his spirit? Here's the truth. If you think about God as the all-powerful supreme being, it's easy to start feeling like maybe he is too busy for me. Every time you start to feel like God is far away, here's what we do. We consider Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did in his life, we will never be able to say God doesn't care. How can we say that in light of what Jesus did? Just knowing what he went through. Remember that message on the humble king this journey of descent from the penthouse to the basement. Do we know what it cost him just to be with us because we couldn't go to him? And whenever we're starting to feel like these lies are believable, that God doesn't care, he's not interested in me, he's far away, he's powerless, you rebuke those lies at the foot of the cross as you consider Jesus Christ. And you realize as long as the testimony of Jesus stands and he lives... I know what God is really like. It's on the basis of Jesus that I cast my decision about what my God is like. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans when he says, No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is what? Revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whenever we think of Jesus, truly, he reveals the great love of God. Are you better off when you begin to believe the lies that God doesn't care? Does it encourage you? Does it uplift you in any way? I know that the record you've had in communicating with God may feel that way. But I want you to understand that that is not the God we pray to. And I think sometimes the reason God is silent 
is because he's waiting for us to talk to him and not to some error that we've called God. Do you get that? You can make up what God is like and spend a day rebuking him, or you can come to the God who is presented in Scripture and in humility, in dependence, cry out to that true God, and that God will speak. He will reply. I want you to know that when God feels like he's silent or far away, it's not because of a lack of concern for us. It's not because he stopped caring. So when that happens, find out why it's happening. Ask someone. Open your mind. Ask questions of God. Say, God, I know you're loving. Why are you silent? Is there something I need to change in my heart so that I see you rightly? I want to hear from you. You seem so far. Please come near. Correct what needs to be corrected so that I can commune with you through prayer. I'll say throughout this series that our prayers reveal what we really believe about God, probably more than anything else. How we pray is probably the most accurate depiction of our beliefs. When we pray, let's never suppose that God is a disinterested God and we have to speak long prayers and give acts of devotion to prove how serious we are. We don't need to go through all that to gain the ear of our Heavenly Father. He cares. He's listening. Let's be choosing our words honestly. Tell him the truth about where we are, what we're asking of him. Let's also be very mindful that the God we pray to is a God who has already proven himself to be filled with love for us and very faithful. No matter what it seems like now, we don't cast judgment on God on the basis of this present season. But we believe the God who has revealed himself over thousands of years as the unchanging God of love. And as we pray to that God, I believe he will speak. He will respond from heaven. He will pick us up. As the praise team comes up, I'm going to invite you guys to uh, just kind of bow with me. I think one of the things that marks a veteran marriage is that sometimes, because you've known the person for so long, you know, there's not that much to talk about. You want to tell a new story, you're like, hey, remember that time? Yeah, I was there. And so there's this feeling of like, um, it's almost like you check out after a while. Like you, you feel like there's nothing left to say. And maybe that's where some of us have arrived in our relationship with God. Uh, Prayer is boring. Prayer feels powerless. Prayer doesn't seem like it does anything. Over the next three messages, I'd like to invite you to reconsider how much of yourself you're bringing to the process of prayer. Are you really, each time you pray, even for a meal, really engaged? Are you considering that this morsel of food you're about to put in your mouth is a reminder of God's great faithfulness, something that millions in this world 
go without every day? Is your mind awake as you talk to God and listen for his voice? I believe that when we pray with our mind fully engaged, we will grow spiritually as we pray. And I believe that our deepest convictions about God are ultimately formed as we're on our knees crying out to him in prayer. Why don't we just do this? Let's begin with what we think of God and how that's affecting our prayer life. And as you just kind of dwell on that, if you realize that the Holy Spirit shows you, you're thinking wrongly about God. It's discouraging you from going to Him. Ask Him to change your heart, your mind, about the way you think of God. God is not far. He's not disinterested. He's a God who cares and he's very close. So why don't we begin there? Does what you think about God change the way that you pray? I encourage you to make a commitment with me this week. Jesus begins this passage with the words, when you pray, presuming that we who follow him should be praying. Can you join me in making a commitment that this week, each day, we will be intentional about carving out some time reserved just for him. And that for those minutes, there will be no other agenda but to sit before God in quiet and pray. And this week in particular, will you make a commitment that as you pray, you will not allow your mind to drift away or to drift into error. But that you will be intentional about thinking right things about God being honest about where you are in your life. You'll be mindful of your words. You'll be mindful of the God to whom you speak. I'm going to pause and just give us a moment to make that commitment together for this week.
thank you, Jesus, for always keeping open a bridge between us and the Heavenly Father. Because of you, we believe that the Father hears when we pray. Correct our wrong thinking so that we are free to to pray to a God who loves and a God who draws near. A God who cares about us and hears what we say. As we pray with our minds fully engaged, help us to grow spiritually as we pray. And this week as we've made commitments to pray, come meet us in those times of prayer in such a powerful way that we're encouraged to pray more and more to find our life in it. Pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.